You only lose what you cling to. Gautama Buddha. Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. It's early morning, barely light. I'm in a spot of woods close to my house, and the birds are already up, but not many other people are up except me. I decided to get up earlier this morning to walk the trails, to have some quiet. It's actually been a while since I've recorded a podcast. A couple weeks at least. It's been, it's late, I guess it's late summer. Um, last weekend, I took a mini vacation with my kids before school started, and this week was just the beginning of school, just barely the beginning. So it's just been a busy time, but I'm glad to be back. (sighs) Life can get busy, but it's always good to take time to slow down, to catch your breath, to get away, to rest, to recuperate, to be refreshed, to get back to balance. So here I am and here you are. It's a continual fight, and that's what contemplation is. It's a daily practice of coming back to stillness, to the quiet, to calm, to be reminded what's important and what's not. And stillness is what we're talking about. We're in a seven-part series on the practice of stillness, and we're in part two. I'm walking through some trees that have fallen over the path. (laughs) Crazy. So, here we are. The Practice of Stillness, Part 2. And today we're talking about asceticism. Fun stuff, huh? So it was pretty interesting, starting with the Buddha, because in Buddhism, and I think Buddha, with Buddha particularly as the founder, there there have been some extreme practices of of asceticism. (laughs) So what is asceticism? In Buddhism, specifically, it's really denying pleasure, denying desire. Um, Buddhism really... Uh, I'm breaking my, my spiderweb stick. I carry the stick with me that catches all the webs, so I just, my face doesn't catch them. So it's a little long. I keep, I keep hitting the low-hanging trees, and it's been raining, so they're like just... Uh, when I hit the, the branches, it causes water to just fall on me. So, Buddha really taught that it was our desire that was the cause of our suffering. And if we could calm our desires, then we wouldn't suffer. And I remember taking a world religions course in college. In my, when I went back to college a second time in my late 20s, and, and I remember studying Buddhism and this idea of desire being the cause of suffering and at the time I was like eh really I don't think so like I'm supposed to deny my desires my my pleasure my my happiness and that's happiness <laughs> but as I've become a contemplative these last 5 years and really leaned in and listened and learned and become quiet I realized that there's a lot of truth in what the buddha had to say I'm not a buddhist but Christian contemplation is very similar to a lot of Buddhist meditation. And so I can see a lot of the truth in what Buddha's talking about. And what he's talking about is asceticism. It's a big word. It's a big monastic word. But it simply does mean to deny us, to deny, to deny certain things, to deny ourselves certain things for the purpose of growth. Um, and that's a that's an odd concept, and it was an odd concept to me in my late twenties. It's probably an odd concept to you. Like we live in a culture that is not about denial; it's about grabbing life by the horns and like sucking all the marrow out of life, and like getting everything you can, and tasting everything you can, and experiencing everything you can, and seeing the latest movie, and hearing the latest gossip. It's about embracing and um, like the opposite of asceticism 
and denial is uh, indulgence, right? So, and that's our, our culture is an overindulgent culture. Whatever you like, whatever you love, just go do it. And to be honest, in my life, I've been very impetuous and indulgent in my in the things that I've loved. Um, in my early marriage, early, I was in college. My wife and I were both in college. I mean, this was, let's see, we'd been married for a year. I went back to, for my master's. I went to Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. And um, so in that... And that first year, I specifically, I remember in the first couple of years, like I was, I'm a musician and I would get this like week break from school. I didn't have any responsibilities, no job. I was going to school. So I had this week break. And what I did at times was I would spend the whole week writing music, recording. So we had this, we had an apartment on the, on campus, well not on campus, but it was school apartments. It's off campus. But I had the storage unit in the basement of one of the buildings there. And so I had set up a little recording studio. And I would just go in the morning. I wouldn't come out till the evening. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't, half the time I wouldn't even eat. I was so indulgent and so en- engorged, right, in this activity because I loved it. It's like I was obsessed. But I wouldn't hardly see my wife. I was not a very good husband. I did not have balance in my life. I was just all into this one thing, and I just went for it. It was, I loved it. It was like I couldn't get enough of it. I just, and I do, I love to write music. It was, I love creativity and imagination and like, um, but I have struggled most of my life with balance, with overindulgence in the things that I really wanted to do. And it's caused me to not be a very responsible person at times. So getting married was like my first... Uh, not my first, but it was a really good introduction in the need to change some things. And my wife really didn't, she was kind, but she didn't accept that I could just go disappear for a week and leave her and not see her, or talk to her, or spend time with her. That's not a healthy relationship, right? She was not upset and she didn't like it. We laugh about it now and I laugh at myself. I'm like, man, what a jerk. Who? What kind of husband was I? But um, she, she let me know. That's what I'm saying. She let me know in kind ways that this wasn't okay. It wasn't okay to ditch her for a week because I wanted to go write music. Like, I couldn't only love music. I had to love her too. And so asceticism kind of says we deny ourselves certain things. Not just to deny ourselves, but and to encourage other things. Um, if stillness is anything, it's the art of turning away from one thing to focus on another, to get quiet, to leave certain things behind for a time in order to focus on other things, to hear a more subtle call, a more subtle voice. And that's part of getting in tune with this God energy too. Like, I, I know, I believe... I believe in, and I know that God is speaking always. He's speaking everywhere. He, she is speaking through all things. I spent most of my life with a, that belief but not really experiencing it. But I held on to it and I've learned. But I can tell you what's enabled me to hear God more and more is quieting a lot of other things. What's enabled me to love my wife better is... Not being so impetuous and um, engorged in one, th- one, one love, but being balanced in my love of things and balanced in my time, right? And so asceticism helps te- does help teach us balance. It helps calm our desires so they're not too overindulgent, too overweening. too consuming um, like I think overindulgence is like the god of America <laughs> like whatever you want go for it get it and get more of it and more and more and all you can and and our culture is 
enamored with billionaires and you know millionaires and like these are the heroes bill gates and uh i can't um what's the other guy's name <laughs> uh anyway like overindulgence is our idol right we we emulate and honor people who like have so much of everything that's the good life in our mind is like getting more and more and more more money more stuff bigger houses it's like bigger and better always but asceticism actually says the opposite the more you have the less you enjoy the more you indulge, the less you're satisfied with what you have. Because, and this, just this, this is a strange irony, and it's maybe hard for you to see until you begin to pursue a quieter stance and begin to pay attention to what's going on inside you. But a lot of times, the more you want, the more you get the less satisfied you are with it. And you begin to just not even be satisfied with what you have at all. Um, I took a course in in uh, high school. He called this, um, I'm trying to remember, he had a really good name for it, the, rising, the Law of Rising Expectation, I think is what he called it. But like the more, like wanting and indulgence don't satisfy you. They actually produce dissatisfaction. The more you seek to satisfy yourself through getting something, the more you want it. The less satisfied you are with actually getting it, and the more dissatisfied you are in wanting more and more. And so indulging our desires actually can create less satisfaction, less fulfillment, right? We think, if I can only get that thing... And then when we get it, what do we do? Maybe it pleases us for a minute, a day. But once we get it, what do we want? We want another. We want more. We want the next newest thing. You know, as soon as we get the new thing, the new car, the bigger house, the nicer phone, what do we do? Oh, there's another phone out there? My friend has this other phone, this other car. There's always something else. And so... It breeds dissatisfaction, not satisfaction. Unfulfillment, not fulfillment. I've, I've been paying attention to this as I've remodeled our house. My wife and I are remodeling our house. We bought a house past this past March. And we lived in the house for six months prior. And we, like, we developed a lot of plans. Because I'm a home remodeler. I do construction. That's what we do. My wife and I both. She's a designer and the accountant and the brains and I'm the I'm the worker, the craftsman, the skilled laborer. So we lived in this apartment for six months. Um, and we schemed and schemed, you know, this is what we're gonna do here. We had we, we created lists and pro- project lists and goals and so we bought that house and we were raring to go. And then of course the pandemic hit so we've had all this extra time which has been a great blessing. But we've been going at it, and we've done a lot of projects already. But something I've been paying attention to as we do these projects and make these changes, we make the change, and it's like, oh, this is so great. Look, this is we made this change. We, op- we opened an entryway, moved stairs, we moved two sets of stairs. Now we're remodeling our kitchen. But I've noticed that as good as it is, it doesn't take long for it to just become the norm. There is this acclamation um, tendency or acclamation reality that we tend to settle into what we have and where we are and what's around us and just, it be, it's our background, right? It becomes our background, it becomes our norm. It becomes just what we're used to and it doesn't seem so special. Like, it seems more special before we get it, right? We're working towards it, saving for it, and then we get it. And it's so awesome for a minute. And then it's not, because it's there. It's in our hands. And so, like, asceticism kind of says, learn to be content 
where you are, with who you are, and what you have. Like, learn to value what you have. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily decry the idea of getting something new or enjoying something new. But it says don't plant your idea of fulfillment in the, the thing that you're trying to get to or get. Because then you'll always be needing to get something else. And always, it'll be elusive. You've planted your f- idea of fulfillment and expectation of fulfillment in what's in, what's out in front of you and not what's right in front of you. Does that make sense? So asceticism says, stop that game altogether. Get quiet. Begin to learn how to be content right where you are, with who you are and what you have. Learn to take joy in what's around you. And it also says you don't even have to have it or own it to enjoy it. It's this idea that maybe the world is not about you getting your own piece of the pie and owning your own part of the world, but enjoying it without having it. And there is actually even a way to possess things without owning them. Without controlling them. Um, I like this. uh, There was this movie with Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. I think it was in the 90s called Fight Club. I read the book actually too. Uh, I can't remember the author's name. It's really the book was great. The movie was great, but it is kind of an anti-American, anti-materialistic, anti-consumeristic movie. But there's a line uh, Brad Pitt's character Tyler Durden s- says in the movie. He says the things he says the things you own end up owning you, and that's this idea, right? When you try to control things and really own them, you don't possess them. They end up possessing you. They end up controlling you. And you don't control them. When we try to control things, we are controlled by them. When we try to own things, they end up owning us. Aestheticism is the idea of setting things down, stepping back from things. Not holding things so tightly. Not holding on to things like the Buddha said. The things you cling to the most, you lose. Jesus said it this way. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. For whoever seeks to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good is it, he said, to gain the whole world and lose your soul. What good is it? In trying to gain the whole world, we lose. Trying to save ourselves, we lose ourselves. But in losing ourselves, we find ourselves. That's what Jesus said. That's what Buddha said. The things we cling to the most, we lose. That's really hard for us to understand and Western American industrialized capitalistic culture. Like, can we have things? Can we really have something and not own it? Can we really enjoy something and not possess it? And asceticism says actually you can't enjoy it if you own it. And you can't truly possess it if you try to control it. But in letting it go, then you can truly have it can have it in the right way. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and what they're talking about is something inward. It's our relationship to things, right? Think of, And think of this in terms of relationship, and we can see this. Maybe this is a good way to ground us kind of in this idea, to kind of bring it down to the practical. Like, think about relationships, and think about a controlling, possessive husband or boyfriend, right? We, can, we see this all the time. It's almost a caricature in movies or stories like the possessive, controlling husband. And what is that person? That person's abusive. They're, they're so consumed with this other person and their whole life is about this other person. Um, we call these people narcissists as well and we could call them somewhat psychopathic, right? They do things that seem good to them but are actually very harmful, even to themselves. 
And the possessive controlling person ends up pushing the person they love away because they're trying to possess them so greatly too much. They're trying to control and cling to them too much. Right? This possessiveness. We can see in relationships it's very unhealthy. It actually produces the opposite of what's desired. Like, I love this person so much. I want them so much. I'm consumed by them and I have to have them and they have to be mine. And that desire produces an unhealthy relationship which pushes the person away usually it does whether it whether that person leaves or not you know it does push them away it creates a break in the relationship because there's not a freedom to love there's not a freedom to love from both sides that possessiveness that desire to control and own and um, cling to too much creates an unhealthy relationship and a lack of freedom in the relationship to really enjoy the relationship. There was a song by a singer-songwriter, Sting, and I remember one of the lines is, if you love someone, set them free. Free, free, set them free. Free, free, set them free. (laughs) If you love someone, set them free. Like, that's love. When we love things rightly... All things. We don't possess and control them and own them and put them in a box and in a safe and lock them behind a door. We own them or we we hold them freely. We let them come and we let them go. And asceticism teaches that the more we let things go, the more we can enjoy them. And this is, I think this is a big practical reason why a big takeaway here is that things come and go relationships possessions circumstances um, events like everything comes and goes if we cannot learn to let it come and go we become too attached to it then we become very dissatisfied as it comes and goes we we begin to try to keep it even if it's like basically we're not letting reality happen as it is It's a big part of our suffering. I've talked about that. It's a big part of our um, fractured perception of the world is we cannot accept reality as it is. Aestheticism kind of helps us step back and let things be what they are. Let things not try to hold them too tightly, control them, keep them, but to let them come to us and to let them leave. Whatever those things are, friendships, relationships... The truth is, when we let things be what they are to us and, and be, the, be in relationship with us as they desire, not as we desire, then things are what they should be. Things come and go. Things grow. I mean, we cannot grow if we're holding on to a place or a moment too much. The ability to move through life has a lot to do with asceticism of just grounding ourselves in a way where we are fluid and things can come and go in and out of our lives, people. It doesn't mean we don't value people. It means we don't try to control and hold them, but we let them come to us. And if they decide to stay with us, that is a gift. Asceticism helps us see the gift of all things. We can turn so many things into a curse when we try to control and hold on to them. We cannot accept the limitations and of time and space. The passing of things, the passing of time. There is a great anxiety created when we try too hard to create what we want, to make things what we want, to make a moment what we want. There's great anxiety, there's great frustration. And that's why the Buddha says suffering comes from a lot of these desires, these I would say unnatural desires. Now there are, I don't think that um, desire in and of itself is completely bad. I think it's how we hold it. Yes, I desire love and relationship. Yes, I desire to have a car, a nice car, a nice house. I'm currently in the process. But how do I hold that desire? Is it consuming? Is it controlling? Is it eating me up inside because I don't have it. And then we see that so much in our society, this dissatisfaction with what we don't have. That is the wrong way to hold desire. 
when we, you know, it's okay to have goals in life, goals in your career, upward mobility, the desire to advance yourself, to advance your situation, to better yourself. That is not bad. But how do we hold it? Are we dissatisfied until we get it? And when we get it, we're dissatisfied because we want the next thing immediately. We cannot enjoy where we are and what we have. Asceticism, really, in its most extreme, and, and this can sound crazy, but it really says, I am complete and content with just who I am, just being myself. It grounds us in being, not doing, knowing, or having. Even knowledge and activity can be an obsessive compulsion. You know, I, I can't... Like, whatever you're into, right? I can't wait to get that next tattoo. I can't wait to have that next adventure. I can't wait to go hiking. And we pine and we, we, sp- we can spend our days at home, at work, not, and only thinking about the next time we get to ride our motorcycle or hike that mountain or whatever, skydive, whatever our thrill is. Like, we can begin to be so consumed by our obsessions that we cannot enjoy where we're at. Do you hear the hear the stream? I'm gonna walk down a little bit by the stream. It's starting to get a little light. It was super dark when I came on the trails. I mean, I actually stayed on. I avoided certain trails because it was so dark I couldn't see on the like the more densely forested trails. So now I'm coming down the woods. I mean, it's still not even half light. I'm trying to come down by this stream. Ooh, slippery rocks. I'm trying not to. Do you hear the water? I, I always love the sound of water. It's calming. It's a flow. You know, I talk a lot about God as this energy flow and life as a flow. And this asceticism kind of getting in tune with this God flow and life as this flow. Like, this is what asceticism is about. It says, don't ground yourself in passing things. Don't found yourself in what is unstable, right? What you desire. Don't ground your expectations of what life should be in things that, are, that come and go. Like, try and establish yourself in a flow where you can move. You're not anchored to this one spot. And, you know, I think if you think about a tree um, versus a cloud, as far as being grounded, like a tree is set... And it's, it can be strong by being fastened securely to one place. But like when a strong wind comes, it can only stand. And it can fall over. I, I just passed earlier on the trails. You heard me pass some trees that had fallen over. There was a strong, wind, really strong winds last night. And heavy rains. And this tree fell over. And I'm not saying it's not good to put down roots. So this, this is a metaphor. It only goes so far. But like when we're too, uh, hold too tightly to something, we, when we try and resist the flow of life that is moving us along to new things and good things, we can get stuck in a place, stuck in a relationship, stuck in a job, stuck in a mindset, stuck in an obsessiveness with something. And it... And then we're too, we're clinging to that too much. And it can wreck us. A strong wind. Something can take those things away or threaten them or change them even and shake them. And we're shaken with them because that's the thing we're grounded in. And if that thing changes or, or actually we lose it altogether, if that was our foundation, our whole life is wrecked. And we found our life on things that are, un, that are changeable. So the idea is to found your life in a flow. To found your life in a way that allows for the changes. That you can move with things. You can even, like, everything grows. That's the idea. It's not like we have good things and then they're gone. I mean, I don't, that's not the idea here. Although that can be true. But it's the trust in this flow that is moving us towards where we're supposed to be going. It is a flow of growing. And growth requires leaving some things behind to move on to better things. The people that are the healthiest, I think that grow the most, are the people that can let things come and go. They can be in the flow of things. Aestheticism is just, you know, helping us um, 
be grounded in a way that allows things to flow, to come and go. We don't lament the loss. Not too much. But we know things come and go, and we can live in that space, this larger space, this larger picture, this larger reality of letting things be what they are. And that's what stillness is about. It's being quiet. It's quieting our desires. It's not, it's not getting rid of them. It's holding them in a way that is calm. Yes, I would like to do X, Y, or Z. But if I don't get to, that's okay. I am content to be who I am in this moment, always, whatever it is. I, I, I think this is, a, this is a fun way to look at it. Like, we're, always like, we're always pressing for the weekend, right? Got through the work. We're doing the daily grind. It's hump day, Wednesday. You know, we're getting over the hill. It's, all this, it's this whole metaphor of like, oh, I got to grind it out. And I have to work. And it's just uh, work. But if I get to the weekend. And so we can pack so much expectation into getting to the weekend. And the week goes by and it's a blur. And it can be very droll, drab and dull and a chore, right? But aestheticism says, don't do that. Like, look, all, look around you right now. Quiet those expectations that are pushing you out into the future, that are, that are um, saying, it'll be good when I get here, when I get to that thing, when I get to the weekend, when I get to that vacation, when I get that next raise. Like, always looking out ahead Asceticism says quiet and calm and look where you are right now. What is good where you are right now? Learn to enjoy the moment always, wherever you are. Whatever you're getting, whatever you're getting to do right now, whoever you're around right now, whatever you're involved in right now, this is where life is happening. Asceticism and stillness, that's what they say. They say this is where life is happening right now. This is where you should live your life right now. The eternal now. Present-mindedness. These are the things that meditation tries to teach us. Stillness is quiet, and meditation are quieting these inner desires. Not getting rid of them, but holding them in the right tension. Like, it's okay to want that next race. It's okay to want to get to the weekend and enjoy some free time. But don't miss the enjoyment of the time you have right now, the people you're around right now. There is joy and contentment all around you. It's not an elusive thing. It doesn't have to be bought and controlled and possessed. It actually comes to you. You don't have to bring it. And possessiveness and controlling uh, mentalities, that's what they say. They say, you have to get it. You have to earn it and you have to keep it. You have to hold on to it. You have to grab a hold of it and you have to hold on to it. And it's a fight. That's what it is. It's a fight and it's a contention. And it's a tension. And it creates contention in us and, and, and with others. Between us and others. But stillness and asceticism say, everything, everything around you is joy. Everything around you is peace and everything around you is good. Maybe you don't see it. But it has to do with what's inside you, not what's outside you. How are you holding the moment? Who are you in the moment? Do you know how to enjoy every moment and see the good? Even in your worst moments, to see through it. That there's something good happening even when you can't feel it or sense it or touch it. You don't have to get away from the present moment. You don't have to get to something better. This compulsion to get somewhere else is the root of our dissatisfaction. <laughs> That's what Buddha, the Buddha was talking about. <clears throat> this desire to get somewhere else. That's what makes us dissatisfied. If only I could have that. That's the root of our dissatisfaction. Instead of, well, look what I get to have. Look what I get to do right now. Look what I do have. Like, look around you. You get quiet. Open your eyes to see where you are right now. There's a, there's a practice of stillness that brings that <clears throat> to us. Brings that different mentality, inner reality. Helps us get quiet. 
Oh, we can be so dissatisfied and so disgruntled. Everything is wrong. Everything isn't what we want. But what are we wanting? That's what contemplation seeks to point us to, the daily practice of getting still and listening. Well, why do I? Why am I dissatisfied? Why am I unhappy? Why am I so disgruntled all the time? My wife is an Enneagram 7, and I am an Enneagram 4 with a 5 wing. So if you don't know Enneagram, Enneagram 7s are the adventurers. One of the downfalls of the 7 is they're always focused on the future and the exciting thing that's coming up. And my wife, I I see that in her. I've begun to observe it a lot more acutely. And like, there have been some things we've been working to for the last four to five years, I'd say, that we're actually, we're, we're living in right now. We wanted to start our own construction business, and she's wanted to do that. Oof. I wasn't even on my radar, but it was on hers like 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, 10 years ago, um, when our first was born. And when we, I didn't know that until we actually, I actually came to her with the idea, and she's like, oh yeah, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. This is something, I, this is one of the things I've really wanted to do, and I was like, well, I didn't know that. But we did it. We've we've been three. We're three years into running our own construction company, and it's been a great blessing. Um, it's been great for us as a family. It's really increased our income. It's just and our freedom. Like we, you know, we control our own schedule. Um, financial freedom and freedom with our time. And then we've, you know, we worked. It took us about two over two years to actually buy a house from the time we started we had school debt we had you know um car loan we just we went to the bank and and we you know we said we want to get a loan and they were like uh yeah (laughs) no (laughs) you but at that time she's like well here's the things you should be working on and so um we've met a lot of obstacles in trying to own our own home and it was a Especially since I work for myself, banks do not like um, self-employed people. It's just they, they just equals instability in their mind, right? It's hard to it's harder to prove that you are worthy of that home loan. <laughs> it's hard, but man, we you know we've gotten to these places, you know, and our kids are a little older. My wife has a lot more freedom with her time, but I can see, in a lot of ways. It's not been that big of a deal to reach these goals for her. She's not, she doesn't seem happier. And I'm not going to go into like the details of my wife's unhappiness or happiness. She is generally a calm person. um, And she's generally a pleasant person. So I'm not saying that that she's not a happy person. But I, I can see that reaching these goals have not really, have not really brought a greater, deeper measure of satisfaction for her. And as a seven especially, who's always focused on the next big thing, the next thing that's going to really do it. <laughs> like, she, that's her struggle. That's her wrestle. We all do wrestle with that, but I just see that in her more particularly. And Like, these are big things. We started our own business. We've reached some really big goals in our life, is what I'm saying, but... I've seen that that doesn't mean that they brought her the satisfaction. And my point is that reaching goals isn't necessarily going to bring you contentment and fulfillment. Asceticism, meditation, stillness help ground us in a different way, in a different mentality of being content where we are. Letting things come to us as they're meant to, when they're meant to, and letting things go from us as they're meant to, when they're meant to. It's a different way to hold things, not controlling and not possessing, but just being, and being in the joy of every moment that you get to live and breathe. I get to be here in the woods this morning. It's beautiful. Later, I get to fix breakfast for my kids. Later, I get to help my wife fold clothes, clean up the house. I love doing dishes. I enjoy it. I often put on my headphones. It's an opportunity for me to listen to a podcast sometimes, like finding the joy in the moment and learning, 
to bring out the joy. I think that's a lot of the work of asceticism and stillness. And so there's one, I think, big thing I haven't really talked about with asceticism and stillness. And it's the practice of self-denial. Like, basically, uh, one component of asceticism, I'm talking kind of about the big, big idea of, of like, calming our desires and learning to enjoy the moment. But a lot of the work in that is what uh, religious practices, or religious religions call fasting. And so the basic idea is that it's good just to put things down for a time, whatever it is, especially the things you think you need the most, the things you think you can't put down. Coffee, Facebook, like take a break from things from time to time to see how attached you are to them. Like it's one thing to talk about detachment and stillness, but how do we get there? We get there by fasting. Take a break from things. Spend some time away. We love to take a break from work, right? To go on vacation. It's nice. It's refreshing. Get ourselves in a different space, different place, a different mindset. We understand the value. That's true in all things. Like what you love, what you don't love, whatever. Put it down. Take a break. Step away from it and see see how attached you are to it. That's the point of fasting. It's to, it's to evaluate, is this thing, does this thing have too much dominance in my life? Is it controlling me or, I, or is it under my control? The way you do that practically is put it down. Can you put it down? Can you take three days off from drinking coffee? Can you, can you drink one cup a day instead of five? Can you not eat candy for a week? Can you take a break from sugar? Like, there's a lot of health in these things, in these practices. Like, the practice of asceticism is simply just taking a break from things. Maybe you need to step back from a relationship for a time. Doesn't mean you're giving up on it. Give it some space. I have a friend um, who who is experiencing this very thing. It's been amazing because we've talked through this, and he and his wife are have decided to take a break. He actually moved into an apartment. He specifically got a over-the-road trucking job. They've t- they take they've they decided to step back, and man, and it was kind of the, a decision they both made. But I think it was more led by her and expressed by her. So for him, it was just well, very heavy, and you can imagine it was very heavy. It was like a thunderbolt, you know, it really, really wrecked him, and it really caused a lot of angst and maybe even some depression. But I can tell you, like, over a period of even less than a month, like, the changes that he's experiencing in their relationship and that they're both experiencing have been very good. Like, have they, have they, as they've stepped back from the relationship and given it space, um, they feel like they've already seen some great health and growth in their relationship. They just took a break. I've, I've heard many counselors recommend this for marriages that are struggling to step back. Get some space. Take a break. When you step back from things, you can see them better. When you're not so bound to them and not so obsessive and, and you have to do it, you have to have it. When you can step back from it, you can see it more clearly. You can see the attachment it has in your life, the control it has over you. You can see if it does. If you can put things down and it doesn't change anything about your satisfaction, that's when you know you're holding things rightly. So I encourage you, it's a good practice. It's a religious practice. It's thought of as a religious practice, but it's just a good practice for anybody. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be it's religious. It's, it's been, it's been um, most often um, proposed by religions or just is, uh, enforced by religions. And often we don't even understand in, in our religious context why we fast, other than uh, sometimes we can think it's like, God wants us to not be happy, right? We can even look at fasting like, well, we got to give our pound of flesh and got to make God happy by being unhappy, right? God doesn't want us to be too happy so fast. <laughs> That's the opposite. God wants us to be extremely happy and content. And God knows that we do, we, fasting is just a way to see if things are controlling us and have too much dominance in our lives, which can actually make us unhappy.
when we don't have the freedom and the space and relationships and possessions and things that we're wanting in our desires. When they're consuming us, we're not happy. We're dissatisfied. So fasting is just a practical way to test, to see. And I know, like, it's not easy. I know we don't want to. But that's, that's, the, that's the practical application here is test to see if something is controlling you or something really has a proper uh, place in your life that's not too, uh, too much in control and too much in dominance. Like we do that by fasting, putting it down for a time and seeing what happens. And if it if it's really hard to put it down, it has too much control and too much dominance, and maybe we should take a longer break from it. Not a, com- not, not, um, a permanent break. And sometimes we do decide to take a permanent break from things. There are things that are just unhealthy. I used to smoke. I spent like four years quitting smoking. <laughs> I just couldn't quite stop. I enjoyed it, right? And that's what I told myself. And I think it's okay. Like, I still smoke a cigar every once in a while. I do enjoy it. I had to do the same thing with alcohol. Like when I, especially there's certain kinds of alcohol. Good morning, bird. There's certain kinds of alcohol that I really crave. Like when I drink it, I want more. I do have a a history of addiction in my family, and especially with alcohol or drugs. Um, But man, sweet wine, if I drink sweet wine, I do not, I want another glass and another. If I drink dry wine, I can have just a glass. And so that's just a good example. Smoking, I just, it took me four years to give it up because I just couldn't. That's a problem. That's addiction. That's wanting something too much. And that's when something is possessing you. You think you're controlling it, it's controlling you. There are things we probably need to put down permanently if they have that place in our lives. Like it's, it's not about not getting to do the things you enjoy. It's about really enjoying the things you get to do. <laughs> right? It's so different, and sometimes it's hard for us to see. Sometimes we're in autopilot. Can't wait to get to that next cigarette, that next big thing that we really want to do and get through the things, all the things we hate. And so, but we end up hating most, or we can end up hating so much of what we do because we can only enjoy the things we're obsessed with. Stillness, asceticism, contemplation, meditation is about seeing that there's a subtle joy in all things. We have to get quiet to begin to hear it. And I believe that is, in a sense, the voice of God calling us in every moment to what is good and what is beautiful, what is joyful and what is content, what is good. As we begin to be quiet and get those desires quiet, we begin to hear the deeper, this deeper energy speaking to us, this flow of all things moving in and out of our lives coming to us and leaving us and we are just still just here letting things be what they are letting things um, happen as they happen and just seeing everything around us as good and beautiful and joyful I love it I've experienced it I've I've stepped away from a life that was full of anxiety depression and struggle and frustration I've begun to see it's all it's all inside me how I hold things can I it's how I really don't hold them that tightly at all can I hold all things loosely and let them be what they are not try to control them and force them and push them into a box and make them what I want them to be but let them just be what they are aestheticism helps us come to that place and fasting helps us see what things in our lives have too much control too much dominance the things, we, the things we cannot stand to stop and let go of are the things we most need to. <sighs> it's good. I, I mean, even just talking about this, I just feel this, like there's a deep breath, letting things go. And what has been plaguing you? What has been bothering you? What has been weighing on you? What has been disturbing you? Where is your dissatisfaction in life and your frustration? Those are the things that you're probably holding on too tightly to. Contentment and peace don't come through getting the things we want, but letting go of all things and letting them come and go. 
and be what they want, not to be what we want. I hope that makes sense. I hope you can feel there's just a deep sigh, deep release. It's so cathartic to let things go, to let things be what they are, to really be content no matter what you have, what you don't have, no matter what. It's beautiful. I invite you into this space. Lean in. Come in. Let go. The things you cling to, you lose. When you try to save your life, you lose it. Those are good teachings from people, from spiritual teachers that know, that have lived it. Hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I hope this has challenged you. I hope that you do take some time to step away, take a break, see where you're at with things. It's good. It's a good practice. Don't, and don't just do it once. Keep doing it. It's a lifelong thing. It's a daily thing. Take a break. Take time away to assess, to see, to see things more clearly. It's beautiful. It's challenging, but beautiful. All good things come through sacrifice and suffering maybe not all (laughs) a lot of things right it's okay it's okay to suffer through letting some things go suffering and struggle bring growth love you guys i love all of you i hope that you feel loved i hope that you grow into love i hope that you are well i hope that you find peace in your life no matter who you are or where you are it is possible This has been the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori, and as always, there's more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. Check it out. You can catch up on past podcasts. There's also blogs, so take a listen. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Love you. Bye.